I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. How has GB News impacted British politics? Is woke capitalism a threat to the West? To discuss, I'm joined by Mark Stolson, the CEO of Legatum, a powerful investment firm with interests in GB News and other major projects. How is Legatum trying to influence British politics? Well, Legatum is not trying to influence British politics at all. So Legatum... Um, to understand Legatum, you have to understand the people behind Legatum because it's not really an organization. It's more of just a group of people that are united by a common mission. So Legatum started about 20 years ago with four partners who are still in place today, four partners that had worked together for several years in an, inv- in an investment organization, and basically, at a moment in time, decided to strike out on their own, create their own firm but one that had a distinct purpose at the center of it. And the purpose was articulated in a mission statement that has survived for 20 years. And the mission of Legatum is to generate capital, that's through the investment business, but then use our capital to help others prosper. So that's what drives Legatum. It's not politics, it's anything that will help people prosper. And politics is a vehicle for that, no? Isn't, isn't the whole point of politics for many people to help people prosper? I it don't may see how be. you can separate the two ideas. Hmm. I mean, it, the way that Legatum thinks about it is, you know, we want to use our capital to help people prosper in whatever, whatever way is most effective. Um, let me give you an example of something that we have done. So about 15 years ago, we were you know, reading the, the Financial Times, an article by a guy called Andrew Jack, and um, you know, what we read in this article was that 1.5 million people, 1.5 billion people um, have some form of intestinal worms. So intestinal worms will kill you, they will keep kids out of school, they can cause you, you know, to go blind, can cause you to be lame. Um, the other thing that we found though was that you can treat intestinal worms for about 50 cents per treatment. So being investors, we looked at it as kind of a, a mathematical problem and sort of a, an interesting, complex problem to solve. And we realized if you could crack this issue, it could change millions, billions of people's lives in our lifetime. That started us on a journey that has lasted 15 years with, at first, treating 8 million people a year in two African countries, just to prove a model to figure out, can we actually use our capital, partner with many, many people on the ground, and see significant change in people's lives. After we had proven the model, we saw the disease prevalence in Rwanda and Burundi go down from sort of the 80%, 70% down to single digits. Um, You've given a great um, list of things that Legatum has done, 
but perhaps what it's best known for in the UK is investing in GB News and the Legatum Institute, which is your think tank, and as you say, you're talking about ideas. Why did Legatum choose to invest in GB News? Well, as an investment organization, we're always looking for great investment ideas, great projects, great people that we think can really move the needle, whether it's in commerce or trade or in the world of ideas. And so the investment in GB News really found us rather than us finding it. And the idea that was presented to us was that we hadn't seen a new broadcast news channel in this country for, I think, 30 years. Um, and you know, again, what was presented to us was that there was a tremendous number of people that felt underserved by sort of the establishment media in this country. So rather than taking that at face value, we did our own research, which is what investors do. What we found was that it was totally true, was that there were, by our calculations, tens of millions of people that felt like they weren't connecting with and they weren't being served by, you know, the other sort of mainstream um, broadcast news channels. So we allocated capital behind this idea. We thought it was audacious. We thought it was bold. Um, we thought it was risky. Um, but we were willing to put our capital and, and actually put our shoulder to the plow and actually put some effort behind it as well. So yeah, that's why we invested in GB News. And it has been a, it's been a fascinating journey. It's been, it was bumpy at the beginning. Um, some mistakes were made. But I'm really proud of how the channel has cleaned itself up and has configured itself for hopefully a very successful future. How do you assess its impact so far? Well, I think the numbers speak for, for, for themselves. Um, again, we look at things through this investor's lens. And so we're, we're intrigued by anything that can give us some handle on metrics, um, on ways that we can measure its success. Um, one of them is obviously audience. The audience is growing. It's Britain's fastest growing news media property. Um, it's had over one billion YouTube views. That's not bad for something that's less than three years old. Um, let's see, in terms of news websites in the UK, GB News is now in the top 15. It's actually number 13. Do you know what number 12 is? The Telegraph. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Watch your back. Um, so it's done really well. I mean, even in radio, radio was for us was an afterthought. We were looking at broadcast, you know, over linear and then over digital. Um, but radio was, was an easy sort of bolt on for us. And today, the GB News radio channel is number one in the 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. slot. So for something that just was an insurgent, bootstrappy startup kind of venture, it's done an amazing job in the last three years. Now, as you say, it wasn't insurgent. Do you think it's changed the media landscape in Britain itself? So we do. We do believe that. Um, so the, the way that that landscape is measured by some is this thing called the Overton window. And we don't just try to guess. We actually have, have people that are looking at that full time using computers to analyze every spoken word on the BBC, on Sky, on ITV, um, just to try to assess is is the GB News conversation changing the, the, the broader national conversation? We've got data to support that, yes. There's been lots of controversies around the channel from other mainstream news organizations, or there's been a lot of criticism, I should say, particularly even some MPs and other journalists calling for the channel to be shut down after various controversies from uh, comments from certain presenters and things like that. Mm. And they also say GB News peddles conspiracy theories and disinformation 
And there's a whole chorus of censorship around that channel since it's been launched. Um, how do you assess or, or what do you make of these calls for GB News to be shut down or censored? From an investor's perspective, GB News is here to stay. So it has the funding that it needs, it's got the, the mission that, it's need, that it needs, and it's got the audience. I think whenever we have sort of a down day or we feel like we're being attacked at all sides, um, something that, that I find fun and encouraging is just reading the, the letters that come in from viewers. And we have people that are sending in like five pound notes, you know, or sending in a check for 10 pounds, who are writing, you know, you've, you've, you've completely changed my viewing habits, you know, please never leave. They love the presenters. So when you, when you feel like you're connecting with the audience in a way that's making a difference in their lives, then we're actually fulfilling the original mission of GB News. Um, and it's encouraging. I guess just in contrast with other channels that get subsidized by the state, GB News has its audience trying to subsidize us. So to me, that, that, that tells us that we've got a significant draw and we've got a big population to serve. But do you take the point that there have been some mistakes that the channel has made, particularly from an editorial perspective, when you have certain presenters, as I said, make comments, I'm thinking of Lawrence Fox, for example, where he said something rather silly about a, a female journalist, and obviously um, he was forced out after that. And do you take the point that GB News has made mistakes in the past? Absolutely. I mean, unquestionably, mistakes have been made, but you have to put it into context. GB News is a startup. And as, as any investor in any company knows, mistakes are always made because we're human. And especially when you're trying to do something new and you, when you're creating something from a PowerPoint presentation to broadcasting 6,000 hours a year, you're going to make mistakes. It's inevitable. What I do find encouraging is how the channel has handled them. And so you raise the, the issue of Lawrence Fox. From a legatum perspective, with our, our overarching goal to promote prosperity, we want to see debate. We want to see freedom of speech. But we'd also like to see an elevated discourse. We don't want to see ad hominem attacks. We don't want to see people rubbishing other people. And, and our contention is that the audience really doesn't want to see that either. So it's not only not good for our, our own corporate culture, we don't think it's good for business. And so in this one particular uh, situation that you raised, I was very encouraged by how the channel dealt with it, dealt with it swiftly, and dealt with it fully, and it seems to be a non-issue. But there have been people who've said, well, actually, free, uh, GB News is meant to be a channel of freedom of speech, and that this was a case of GB News censoring their presenters. How do you respond to that argument? Mm. Well, I mean, it definitely is a chan the channel for freedom of speech, but any company that needs, that has 300 employees and that's operating within a regulated, re regulated environment, needs to have certain boundaries and certain rules that apply to everyone. And so just like any other company, if you operate outside of those boundaries, there will be consequences. In the UK this year, we've got a general election coming up, of which Labour is, is highly likely to win that election if you look at the, the opinion polls. Are you concerned as an investor at, at Legatum that Labour could introduce new legislation which could make GB News or could make life for GB News very hard? And there are some people even saying that GB News might not even last through a Labour government if they introduce new Ofcom regulations which might tighten the restrictions around what can and cannot be said on live TV. So that's probably a better question for the management of GB News as they think through how to position uh, the channel. As an investor, I'm not concerned at all because what I'm seeing is what you're seeing is that on GB News, on the channel, you have people from both sides of the aisle. You have 
Tories, conservatives, you have labor MPs and, and folks talking as well. And so, and that's the whole point of GB News. The, the parent company of GB News is called All Perspectives Limited. And we, we called it that for a reason, because we do want all perspectives. The whole ethos of the channel from its genesis was to provide a plurality of views, to welcome debate. And so I would anticipate, I would think, that labor would welcome that as well. And, and they're already voting with their feet. They're showing up on the channel. GB News has a very, very strong audience, a very strong sort of buy-in from people in this so-called red wall part of the country. That's a really important demographic for both parties. And so if, if that demographic, if that cohort of people tune into GB News, it would seem to be sort of self-help to be on the channel and be speaking to those people. Now, the channel is yet to make a profit. It's only been a few years, so I think anyone would expect that. Um, however, of course, as an investor, presumably you would be looking to see GB News being a very profitable company. Um, are you concerned about the sort of losses at the moment? Because I think there was 30 million pounds of losses reported in the last um, time when the, the financial reports came out. Right, whatever. right. Um, so you're in very insistent that there is a future for GB News. Can you just comment a bit on that? Um, the, the sort of the profit, the losses, and the advertising boycott that GB News has had to go through uh, for past years. Well, well, clearly any investor is going to want to look at profit and losses. Um, the question is duration and time frame. And we're playing a long game here, and we knew that from the outset. We knew that this wouldn't be an overnight success. And we also knew that we were bringing something entirely new to the market that would shake it up a bit. And so we anticipated some opposition. Um, GB News itself has what it calls a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And their big, hairy, audacious goal is to be the number one news channel in the UK by 2028. I reckon as an investor that if they accomplish that goal, it will not just be profitable, but it'll be very, very valuable. From a sort of principled point of view as an investor, obviously the Garson very much thinks about its values and you have a, a, an aim other than profit in, in your mind. And it sounds like with GB News, it's, an idea, it's about, as you say, it's being a disruptor, it's um, providing all perspectives, it's creating a, a new sort of um, channel, as you say, for the first time in 30 years. So there was very much a reason behind it other than making money. Mm. Do you think that, um, as a principle in capitalism, values are important for investing fu investment funds? Absolutely. I mean, values, you know, when you look at, uh, when you look at investing in a company, what are you investing in, really? You're investing in people. I mean, a company can have assets, it can have products, it can have services, but fundamentally, especially as a long-term investor like Legatum, you are entrusting your capital to people who will, will steward your capital and steward the company. That's the way that we think about it. And so values and the character of leadership is incredibly important, and not just in companies, but in all, in all positions of leadership, national leadership, political leadership, um, commercial leadership. So, um, yeah, value is incredibly important. I mean, one of the things that we're launching later this year is Legatum together with Oxford University and Harvard University are launching a leadership course. And it's focused on not just values, but virtues, the virtues that underpin what we see to be the, the type of leadership that can create value that will last over the long term. And so you might think, oh, that's courage or it's honesty, it's all of that. But we've boiled it down to just a few basic virtues, which include hope, 
which include faith and also include love, which sounds very strange in a corporate context. But what's the point? The point is that leaders who actually deeply care about the people that they're leading will do the right thing and they'll do it consistently. Leaders that actually have faith and hope for the future will think long term and not about just the next election cycle or not about just the next quarter's earnings. That's the type of leadership that Legatum is attracted to. It's the type of leadership that we want to back. The reason I asked about values is because there have been much controversies around so-called woke capitalism in mm -hmm. recent years where companies, particularly with things like ESG and companies are deciding to make decisions based on uh, kind of woke ideas and perspectives around race and gender and identity politics. Do you think that this is a concern generally around the Western world where companies, instead of focusing on profit and sort of people in that sense, mm. because profit helps people, um, instead they're focusing on these new critical race theory ideas um, that may be skewing the entire kind of market economy? So Legatum, Legatum has a 20-year history, and, and we have a 40-year her heritage. Our investment style is, uh, it's the, the simplest way to describe it is basically just like Warren Buffett. It's long-term, it's buy and hold, we don't use any leverage, we're not, we're not trading in and out of markets. We're looking for great companies that are led by great people, great teams. Um, and with that long-term perspective, one thing that absolutely matters is the G. <laughs> part of ESG. It's governance, it's ethics, it's you know, having people that um, have that sort of the, exhibit the virtues that I was talking about earlier. So our view of companies is probably a little old school, is that companies are there to serve. And the, the most successful companies are the companies that serve the most. They create the best products, they create the best services. We, as the population, we vote. We vote with our pounds. We vote with our dollars every day. We buy the iPhone. We buy the coffee. We're, we're voting with our, with our money for the things that serve us the best or the most. So our view is that companies that take that posture of like, how can we, how can we serve our customers? How can we serve our audience the absolute best? Those are the best companies to invest in without getting distracted and getting kind of off course on their core mission. Do you agree that there are concerns where values become more important than other um, standards that, of which companies should uh, value themselves by? So I'll give you an example. In America, this obsession with everything having to be diverse and they have, have all population, all sort of companies must represent the population at large. And there must be quotas for female people or for ethnic minorities and so on. And you might even start to have movements to lower standards in order to enable ethnic um, diversity within different companies. And one place where people are saying, well, this could have a real big impact on um, people's lives is in air traffic control or, um, for example, training pilots um, in America. As investors, we want to invest in companies that are run by virtuous people um, and who are hiring the best possible people for the job. And I think that's extremely normal and it's a winning investment strategy as well. And so while you know, our focus is not on the types of issues that you just set out, um, absolutely as investors, and not just investors and companies, but when we're using our capital to back philanthropic efforts as well, absolutely we're looking at the leadership and we're looking at how they make decisions. And because we, we value the virtue of service and of looking after other people, 
we want to find leaders who are going to strike the right balance between ensuring that they're meeting their customers' needs and, and surprising and delighting the population that they serve, but also taking care of their people. Those two things are not in conflict. They they're absolutely go together. And so again, these, are, these, these can be quite nuanced issues in some cases, but you know, boiling it down, absolutely, we want to find leaders who are putting their customers first, putting their people first, and, and that's kind of being the overarching value beyond you know, other sort of, uh, you know, sort of political issues of the day. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Because Legatum has invested in GB News and because of the Legatum Institute itself, the think tank that's part of um, your organization, there has been some, I would say, conspiracy theories around your organization in Britain, uh, particularly from the left who are very suspicious of Legatum. You're based in Dubai um, and in Parliament, a Conservative MP raised concerns around your founder, Christopher Chandler. He claimed that there were links between your founder and the Russian intelligence services. Obviously, he very much denies that that's the case. Can you comment on some of these, I would call conspiracies, but other people might say are legitimate concerns? Well, with that, that specific issue, uh, not only was it completely and totally false in fact, it's now completely and totally false in law. So a recent development is that a US federal district court has found that those allegations are so untrue, they're so completely untrue that no reasonable jury could find otherwise. And so he's found as a matter of law that Christopher Chandler was defamed by the statements that were made and by the sort of the underlying spurious um, information that was put forward. And so th- that is it now a non-issue. There's no, there's no newspaper, there's no, there's no mainstream or normal publication that, that, uh, that would ascribe to that. In fact, everyone has distanced themselves from it because they realize it's complete rubbish. And so, um, I mean, that's, 
I'm waiting for the day when those MPs actually do the right thing and stand up on the floor of the House of Commons and retract their comments. Chris Bryant, one of the people that, that originally had um, sort of attached himself to these comments, has done the right thing and distanced himself from them and said he realizes they've been completely disproved. So on that issue, it's a, it's, it's a non-issue. In terms of you know, people wondering who Legatum is and where we're from, I'm right here. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this is that Legatum really is, it's these four partners, two of whom are British. I come from Arizona. Uh, our other partner comes from New Zealand. Over half of our team is British. We've got offices in London and Mayfair and in Dubai. And so, um, you know, we're easy to find and we write extensively on our website. We publish a lot. And so hopefully stepping out in public will help show the human face of Legatum and and we're, we're happy to engage. Now, I do want to ask a bit about politics. And I know that Legatum, uh, as you said at the start of this interview, isn't particularly interested in influencing politics. However, in Britain, as I said, we've got this general election coming up. Obviously, in America, there's another election there. And it's interesting time for conservatives around the world and around the West. Um, and I wanted to ask whether Legatum was involved with or wanted to be involved with the future of conservative politics in Britain, particularly through things like the Legatum Institute and to a lesser extent, I suppose, GB News. There are many people who are saying conservatives are going to lose, lose the election in, uh, later this year in the UK and there'll be a rebuilding of that party or perhaps even a new party coming around um, to sort of rebuild the conservative movement in Britain. And that will involve thinking about ideas, and I know Legatum likes to think about ideas. Um, so how is Legatum going to get involved in that, if at all? So we, we will not be involved at all in terms of local politics. Um, when we think about, you know, you think about politics of the future, we think of maybe back to the future. So something that Legatum is intrigued by and something that the Legatum Institute is working on right now is just going back and looking at conservative, small c conservatism, the underlying philosophy, the underlying beliefs that, that led to values and the values that led to virtues and the virtues that led to institutions, all of which flowed into a very, very prosperous society and one that we think is a gift to the world. Um, so when we look at nations today and question like how, what can we do that can help countries, help nations prosper in the future, part of it is going back and asking what were those values, what were those original beliefs and values and virtues that seem to provide a foundation for the prosperity that we all enjoy today. Um, I think it's, it's sort of long overdue. It feels like we're going down ancient paths to rediscover uh, what small c conservatism really is. And it begs this really important question, which is what is worth conserving? And, and when you put it that way, you realize, wow, there are parts, there, there are parts of this country that are absolutely, and in any country, that are worth preserving because they're fundamental to the national identity. They're fundamental to who we are as a people. You know, when I drive around London and people stop at zebra crossings or people queue, why are they doing that? They're doing it because that's what we do in this country. But the deeper roots of that are actually grounded in something very solid about what's right, what's fair, what's polite, and all of these values that animate a nation and a culture that, that has been really prosperous. So while we won't be directly involved in any sort of politics or campaigns or anything like that, um, obviously we, that affects us as just human beings and citizens, 
but from a longer term perspective, we are really interested in what are the core drivers of prosperity. Now, one of the, the, the core things that the Legatum Institute has done for 15 years is called the Legatum Prosperity Index. So we started it in some ways just as our own exploration just to figure out what prosperity even means. You know, when we 20 years ago said we want to help others prosper, we had to break out the dictionary and ask what does prosperity even mean? And what we found is that prosperity means more than money. It has a very um, it has a very nuanced and a very sort of multifaceted definition. And it means money for sure, it mean, but it also means opportunity. It means quality of life. It means like every, everything that you want for your children, that's what prosperity means. So as we started to unpack it, we actually went to Oxford and asked a handful of professors to help us kind of unpack the word prosperity and what drives prosperity and then put it back together again. And that was the genesis of this prosperity index. Over time, it became much more sophisticated and has you know, dozens and dozens of, of different um, data points and factors and regression analyses to come up with this global index that ranks countries on the basis of holistic prosperity, wealth and well-being. And while that's inc incredibly useful and helpful, we now want to go further, go deeper in terms of like what's, what, what's the, what are the belief systems that actually appear to be required for a nation to prosper over the long term. You talk about prosperity and in Britain and in parts of America over the last 20 years, many people haven't seen prosperity. They've seen their wages stagnate with deindustrialization and so on and globalization. Um, there's been a huge rise in wealth and prosperity for many, many people around the world, particularly through immigration and things like that, coming into Western countries and, and, and raising those people's uh, wages and living standards and so on. And obviously in Africa and other places where you've been involved, um, prosperity has risen in, in uh, immeasurable ways. You know, you can see, as you say, things like um, health and, 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 and so on. However, as I said, in Britain and America, there has been, I think, a, a stagnation in many parts of those countries, um, particularly uh, perhaps even in other Western countries. And these economic trends potentially, some argue, led to things like the Brexit vote or the vote for Donald Trump in 2016. And these um, underlying trends haven't gone away, I don't think, in the last four or five years. How do you assess this stagnation in prosperity in some Western countries for some groups of people? Well, you talked about the Red Wall earlier. In America, they call it the, the Rust Belt, for example. I, I saw a, a data point recently that said that the per capita GDP of Mississippi, which is the poorest state in the United States, is higher than the UK. And to me, that's very, very alarming. Um, what's the solution? Again, if you're focused on prosperity, it's, it's what has always driven prosperity. It's opportunity, it's jobs, it's letting people keep more of their incomes, um, it's freedom, it's these, it's these basic drivers of prosperity. So while the Legatum Institute happens to be located in London, in the UK, we are focused, uh, at least half of our focus is international, but we're in the UK and so we feel like if we can use the tools that we have to help this country prosper and advocate for home ownership, higher income, growth, growth and growth, economic growth, um, does actually raise, like lift all boats. And so anything that we, like one of, one of our, um, someone that we've worked with for a long time is Lord Matthew Elliott. Um, and he has started a new um, 
foundation called the Jobs Foundation. And it's very exciting because it's, it exists to make one simple argument, which is that business is a force for good. Business creates jobs, it creates opportunities, it lifts families and communities. These are, these are basic things and they're very, very well known and empirically, they're the things that drive prosperity. So those types of things, you'll, you'll find Legatum involved in, in anything that, that has to do with growth that can affect normal families. And you talk about things like home ownership and so on, and GDP, GDP per capita. Now, interestingly enough, Britain has seen a huge uh, increase in immigration in the last few years, particularly the last 20 years or so. Uh, in 2022, 745,000 people came to Britain, net 1.2 million gross. This was more than the entirety of the amount of people who came to Britain between 1980 and 2000. The cultural impact of that, I think, is hugely significant. You talked about Britain being a high-trust society in some ways, the zebra crossings, the queues, and so on. And there are people who say, well, we're losing the character of our nation through importing masses of people from other cultures who don't perhaps respect the British way of life, the British history, the British culture. So that's one thing. And then on the side of prosperity, you talk about home ownership. How can Britain, how can I own a home when the demand for houses has gone up so much in the last few years? And particularly, we're not building enough houses as well, so it's supply and demand, isn't it? It's a very basic economic uh, calculation. How do you assess immigration in, into Britain? Yeah. I mean, if you grew up in America, and it, it's sort of in my era, in my age, you were raised to be very pro-immigrant. Why is that? Because everyone is an immigrant. So my family came from Scotland, came from Norway. Um, and so you have a, a heart for immigrants and, and for people who are coming to look for a new life. Today, I think the way that we would look at immigration is immigration can be very good. Uncontrolled or unlimited immigration has significant downsides. There, there, I, haven't, I haven't yet come across anyone who's a huge advocate for uncontrolled immigration. Um, but the way that Legatum would look at the issue is probably through two different angles. One is, um, as you said, just on the, on the cultural side, assimilation is while welcoming immigrants and while being a nation that is kind and a nation that is generous, how do we do that while at the same time respecting the citizens of that nation and respecting the history and the national identity and, and the culture of that nation? In fact, I mean, I guess it's common sense, but the reason that people want to come to certain countries is because they think life will be better there. So shouldn't we do our best to preserve that life that they're coming there in the first place? The second angle that, that we would use to look at the issue of immigration is really on the immigrant. Um, and with large uncontrolled amounts of immigration, there can be totally un, unintended and very negative consequences for human beings that are crossing borders. And so, you know, one of the other major charities that Legatum co-founded is called the Freedom Fund, and it's focused on anti-trafficking and anti-modern-day slavery. And when you get into that space, you realize the, the human suffering and toll that can happen on people that are trafficked against their will, held in some form of bondage. I mean, the Freedom Fund has delivered over 30,000 people out of modern-day slavery and affected lives in the millions in terms of just awareness campaigns and capacity building. And so we would look at the issue of immigration with, with a soft heart but a hard head um, and, and you know, would hope that people in political leadership would, would, wouldn't uh, turn a blind eye to uncontrolled immigration.
What about these other broader cultural shifts that have happened in Western nations uh, in recent years? I'm particularly thinking about the rise of so-called wokeism and other identity-based movements that have seemed to have infiltrated across all sorts of establishments um, in Britain and America, whether it's through the news media or through the university sector or through big corporations. I talked about kind of woke capitalism earlier. Are you concerned about threats to civilization from that perspective? Well, I mean, looking at the history of the United States and the UK, it's these nations are strongest when they're cohesive, when there's social cohesion, when there's a sense of national unity. And oftentimes you find that in times of crisis, but also in times of national mourning or national celebration. I mean, just looking at the Queen's funeral, for example, here, like, it's incredibly stirring to see, you know, tens of thousands, millions of people out on the streets, like, displaying their affiliation, their affection for these totems of this nation, of the flag and of, of, of uh, you know, the Queen. And, and so, and it's the same in the United States. There are certain cultural totems that that help us cohere, help us stay together as a nation. So any nation that's divided, just like any house that's divided, is going to be at risk. And so, you know, ideologies that threaten um, social cohesion, ideologies that bring division rather than unity, um, I think are un- very unhelpful. Are you broadly pessimistic or optimistic about the future of Western nations, particularly looking at America and Britain? We're, Legatum is an investment organization. We're investors. We are, by definition, optimistic. We have to be, because we're looking at things in the long term. Britain has been around for over a thousand years, and we have a great faith in human beings' ability to adapt, to change, to self-correct. So absolutely, we're, we're optimists and we're hopeful. Looking to America, we've talked a lot about Britain in this, this interview, but I just want to briefly talk about America, your home country. Um, The president recently uh, was accused by a prosecutor of um, of having a bad memory mm. and he couldn't remember the uh, when he was vice president he couldn't remember when his own son died in an, in an interview with this prosecutor and many people have raised concerns about Biden's mental faculties over the last few years in particular looking at him making these speeches making these kind of gaffes do you worry for the future of the United States when their president seems to be aging in this way well I think the see my previous response I don't long term I do not worry about the United States I feel like the United States has has a long history of of adaptation and self-correction so the US will be fine um, and I remain very very hopeful so but in, in terms of these you know current political issues they're so well discussed probably over discussed so I don't think I have anything to add you talk about uh, I don't want to accuse you of complacency, but empires do fall. And, you know, you look at Rome, look throughout history. Um, there's even some people who have, uh, have this idea that every 250 years an empire, that's kind of this, the kind of expiration date of, of lots of empires. And America does seem to be on the decline um, in terms of its global position relative to places like China and so on. We've talked about the cultural impacts of what's happening in the United States. Um, perhaps the economy is stronger than, 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 than it looks on the outset. And maybe you can comment on that. But... Um, do you think that there is a, you could be, perhaps be accused of being complacent when you look at these things saying, oh, America's fine in the, in the long term, we'll, we'll, everything will sort of work itself out, when throughout history this isn't, hasn't always been the case? It can look in the contemporary, uh, through a contemporary lens that something is very, very powerful, very, very strong, and only within a few generations that whole system can collapse and crumble. Mm. Well, 
I mean, Legatum is putting our money where our mouth is. So we're literally deploying capital into companies and into markets in faith and in hope that things will continue to get better. Um, when it comes to, I mean, when it comes to the United States or, or the UK or really around the world, I think we're incredibly encouraged by, as investors, interacting with entrepreneurs. I mean, if you want to, if you want to increase your hope quotient, spend some time with entrepreneurs. They've got a vision for the future. They've got new ideas on how things can be improved, how lives can be improved, um, how our health can be improved. And so I think just a constant diet of entrepreneurial zeal, you know, will keep your head lifted up and focused on the sunny uplands. The other thing is, I think that gives Legatum hope is, is through our philanthropic activities, it's not just Legatum doing our own thing. We are collaborating with, with a very sort of broad tent of people in something like the Freedom Fund, for example. So the Freedom Fund has one mission, anti-slavery, anti-human trafficking. But the people that are involved in fun founding it, funding it, supporting it, promoting it, come from very diverse political viewpoints. So we've got very sort of left of center people, we've got very right of center people, but they can agree on one thing. <laughs> Slavery is bad, human trafficking is bad, and we can all get to work together on sol trying to solve that problem. And I love that because to me, if we can find more opportunities to actually unify around something that, that holds us together, that, that maintains that cohesion, the better. And the same is with the end fund and so many other things that we do. It's, it's heartening to be able to interact with people who may not agree with you on anything else outside the room, but who on one cause that can lead to the betterment of people's lives um, can gather together and get, get great things done. I want to ask, Final few questions about the Legatum Institute um, itself, your sort of think tank. What, and I don't want to preempt you here, but perhaps hopefully you'll give us an insight, but um, what are the Legatum Institute's future plans? Are there any reports you're putting out? What can we expect? So uh, something that we just released a few days ago is, is uh, I mean, the Legatum Institute has shifted its focus just in the last year or so, and we have an incredible team um, that's leading the charge. It's a young team full of lots of energy, um, and hungry to make a difference. The first, one of the first marquee things that we've released is a paper on AUKUS. Now AUKUS is, it's a collaboration between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the, and, and the US. And it's, its first objective was to figure out how to develop and, and produce nuclear-powered submarines. And that's a fairly niche kind of objective. But on the back of that, what these nations found is that they could, there's a huge, scope for collaboration in terms of just information sharing, technology sharing, um, all sort of in the zone of war fighting, of being prepared uh, for, for defending national security. But it's, it's a great example of nations that share a common history, that share common values coming together as sovereign independent nations voluntarily sort of pooling their resources for the betterment of all the nations. Our report was looking at this dynamic and asking why shouldn't other countries that have a similar profile like Canada or like New Zealand also, um, also join this pact. And the response that we got was incredible. So we had three former prime ministers endorse our papers. So you had Boris Johnson, you had Liz Truss, and Tony Abbott, former prime minister of Australia. That's really rare and it's a lot of fun for a, for a young team and for the Legatum Institute to have that level of support for one of its first 
uh, papers in its sort of new incarnation. So I would anticipate that we'll do more things like that. Uh, we're going to release a new version of the Prosperity Index. We're working on it now, and it's going to be sort of fit for purpose for, for, uh, for the, the, the modern sort of big data age. Our hope is that the Prosperity Index will evolve from something that was backwards looking. Like if you looked at it previously, you would see, okay, Norway or Denmark is number one, and there's sort of the predictable group in the bottom quartile. But that's sort of old news. We want to reconfigure it and use AI, use big data, use machine learning to try to get this to, to be predictive and to tell us not who was prosperous last year, but next year, and who's on, the, who's on the rise. We think that'll be very, very useful for the countries, for political leadership, and even for the investment community. I suspect that viewers will continue to uh, see the legatum or see its influence in Britain um, throughout the coming years. So thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Stephen, thank you. Great to be here. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in hearing more episodes like it, please follow this podcast and drop us a review. If you have any suggestions of people you would like to be interviewed, you can let us know via the Apple Podcasts app.